0: Hey folks, and welcome to another pop-up episode of Prognosis Ohio. Since I, like many of you, am keeping myself out of physical society as much as possible, at least to the extent that I can, I've been taking the opportunity to connect with some good people, including some long-standing friends of the show, to talk about important issues being raised by the COVID-19 coronavirus. I wanted to send a special shout out to all those people who are out there doing jobs and providing services that have been deemed essential for the well-being of the rest of us. That includes healthcare professionals, of course, but also supermarket stockers and checkout people, people who keep our water and electric flowing, municipal services of all sorts, and many, many others, including people who spend their days in daycare centers taking care of the kids of first responders and other essential personnel. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCB's healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ohio University Health Policy Professor Dan Skinner. While I just rattled off a very much incomplete list of people we should be supporting and giving tons of respect to at this time in our state's history, today's episode focuses mostly on those people who cannot work, who've been sent home or shut down, from people who work in the service industry to small business owners who likely have less than a few weeks, if that, of economic reserves. Obviously, the public health decisions that led to this are not an overreaction. We needed to do this for the safety of what could be millions of Americans, but it's painful nonetheless. We're already at a place where not only our health, but the economic lives of many Ohioans are reeling, with skyrocketing unemployment claims being filed, a stock market in decline, and all sorts of insecurity, from food housing to health care, hanging in the balance. On this episode, I checked in with friend of the show, Rob Moore, who's a whip-smart analyst and an important voice here in Ohio. As listeners know, Rob is the principal for Scioto Analysis. He's worked as an analyst in the public and nonprofit sectors, and he's analyzed diverse issue areas such as economic development, environment, education, and public health. In addition to finding Rob on Twitter, which we'll be sharing on the show notes, Rob has been providing commentary lately to the Ohio Capital Journal. We're going to share some links to his writing in the show notes as well. As always, before turning to my conversation with Rob, please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter at, at @PrognosisOhio, where we continue to tweet and retweet up-to-date announcements from the state and other official entities about the coronavirus situation. Also, and I really mean this seriously, at a time when we really need each other more than ever, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com, even if it's just to vent or share pictures of cats with us. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, now to my conversation with Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis. Hey, uh, Rob Moore, thanks so much for joining me uh, during this pandemic via the internet.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'm enjoying being uh, socially distant from you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) actually, that gives me an opportunity to just say something I've wanted to say, which is um, I, I actually think social distancing is entirely the wrong word. I've been thinking about this a little bit. Like we need social contact more than ever, and that's what we're doing on the phone and through social media. Maybe physical distancing is a little bit of a better term because I, I I need people right now almost more than I needed people two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, I was kind of uh, early on thinking, oh, it wouldn't be so bad to just be, you know, be able to disappear for a little bit. But now that I'm actually doing it, I'm thinking, man, I really, I really treasure these
0: moments where I get to talk to somebody else. <laughs> Right, yeah, maybe maybe I'm actually going to become a hugger after the COVID nineteen <laughs> pandemic uh, leaves us. <laughs> so, Rob, uh, you are a um, important voice in Central Ohio. You run Scioto Analysis. You do economic analysis or analysis of all sorts, and a lot of it is in the area of healthcare. So, I've always loved talking with you about issues um, on prognosis, Ohio uh, that we care about things around tax code or around um, housing or, you know, any number of issues. But we're going to talk today just a little bit about the economic aspects of this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And there's been a bunch of articles out there detailing kind of just the horrors that people either they're going through already or we know... They will be going through, even though we don't know what the scope is. I saw President Trump, just before we started talking today, a reporter asked him, said, well, are we looking at 20% unemployment? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. But then he kind of said, that's an outlier. you know." And 20%, of course, would be Great Depression levels, not Great Recession levels. So we really don't know where this is going to go. Exactly. But I wonder if you can give us a snapshot of kind of what you're thinking about right now. Um, you know, where do you think this state is? And what, if anything, is your prediction?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, there are certain industries that are being hit really hard by this. The most obvious ones that we talk about are uh, restaurant and hospitality. Yeah. Um, these industries that really, really uh, lean on us being really close to each other. And Brookings put out a report recently, I think it was just yesterday, actually, where they were looking at what parts of the country are going to be hit most heavily, you know, which metro areas. And of course, you got metro areas in Hawaii, you have Las Vegas as probably the most obvious large metro area that will be really impacted by these social distancing measures um, in response to the coronavirus. And then the the ones that seem to be inculcated the most are more tech heavy and, uh, you know, Higher income, tech heavy metro yeah. areas, yeah, um, and Ohio doesn't really fit into either of those categories. <laughs> you know, we're not a super tech heavy uh, state at this point. We're also not a uh, a state that leans on tourism to a large mm-hmm. extent. So, I tried to get the full list from the researchers who did that, and they haven't released it at this point. But I'm really interested in seeing where they. Uh, you know where Ohio's uh metro areas will land in that distribution i think it, it's probably somewhere in the middle we're not going to be the very worst off because we're not leaning on uh tourism the way that you know a las vegas or a coastal state would but we're also not inculcated because we
0: you know we still lean on a lot of service in the state right and we're talking here on march 18th on a wednesday uh, one dispatch article of- You know, the reporting on this noted that so, you know, two Sundays ago, 562 applications for unemployment insurance benefits were received by the state. This Sunday, we had 12,000. So we are looking at, I mean, I don't know what the math is on that. Math is not my thing. That is a ton of unemployment applications. Yeah, giant increase in uh, in unemployment applications, and I think
1: we're seeing it all across the economy in Ohio, uh, where more and more people are going to be losing their jobs, but also shifting from potentially employed to underemployed is something that we mm-hmm. need to worry about. Um, Can you explain I, what underemployment is briefly? If somebody is working part-time who wants to work full-time, or if somebody, you know, Needs a certain amount of hours in order to pay their rent, but they're cut down from that those hours. Uh, they might shift from unemployed to underemployed. People aren't getting the amount of work that they want, or the type of work that they, you know, might be uh, um, outfitted to be able to do.
0: So, to what extent? You know, there's a story that lots of people have told about you know, the disappearance of uh, manufacturing in Ohio and the industrial base and kind of the just um, huge replacement, although it, replacement's not the right word, with service, right? We've really become more of a service economy. You know, to what extent is that part of the story here? Like, Are, are people in manufacturing and, and industry, like the automobile industry or steel or whatever it might be, differently placed? Are, like How are those folks compared to... You know, we know the bars and restaurants are shut down, and a bar or restaurant can't always go even more than a couple of weeks without going bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You'd think that with manufacturing,
1: they might have some, uh, yeah, some capital built up, but you you also could see some shocks to the manufacturing industry here, where people are consuming less of certain sorts of products, the the broader um, like mix of products decreasing across the economy. So there could be manufacturing shocks, but again, like you said. We have really switched over to more of a service economy in Ohio and the rest of the country. And here in Ohio, restaurants and hospitality make up a large portion of the economy. And that's what's being shut down right now. That's what uh, coronavirus most threatens is these um, industries where we're in close contact with each other, where we share space with one another. And those are the folks who are losing their jobs right now and becoming underemployed and you know that cascades through throughout the economy when folks when that happens to folks.
0: So I saw one number, and of course, you know, listeners should keep in mind we we don't know what you know. This is, it's a novel virus, but also this economic moment is novel as well. And you know, I saw a number that suggested possibly as many as a a, a million Ohioans will be unemployed, right? And we don't know what that number would be. It could be higher. It could be lower. You know, but then there's also just this question of the bigger picture. So Amazon announces that they're gonna hire I forget what was a 100,000 people or something, uh, 4,000, 5,000 jobs in Ohio. That's certainly fine, but not, you know. And the reason why this is happening, it seems like the, there is a shuffling. We've all talked about you know, Purell is doing really well. Um, yeah. But there are certain industries that just, you know, just are, are we have no idea how they're going to weather this storm. So I wonder if you could give me a sense of just you know, how, how do we think about what this might mean in the short versus the long term?
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully in the long term, this goes away. And, you know, people have talked about, is this going to just become an endemic disease? And uh, are we going to be able to, you know, once we get the infection spread throughout the population, will it infect people slower or more periodically? Hopefully that, you know, that's that's sort of a best case scenario at this point in the long term. Um, yeah. but, but we're dealing with short term problems right now. I mean, there could be uh, almost a million people affected, I mean, workers infected uh, affected in the state of Ohio, that is serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to be losing their income. There are going to be a lot of, uh, businesses that are going to be needing to pay rent that they can't pay. Um, and what happens who, who gets, um, reprieve and who doesn't, um, it's going to happen on a case by case basis. That's what's going to happen across the the state. And uh, there are a lot of question marks right now. Right now, the state has the power to, um, you know, the police power to be able to close um, businesses. That's, you know, that's that's what DeWine's been doing. But the state doesn't have a lot of economic power because we have a balanced budget requirement. And we can't just inject a
0: bunch of money into the economy without help from the federal government. What do we do? What are some of the policy ideas that are being floated out there? And as you note, I mean, the state can shut things down, but the state can't necessarily do bailouts or infuse the economy. We have a rainy day fund. Yeah, there's some conversation about what that, what role that could play, if any, at this time. If there's any time for a rainy day fund, you would think that this would be it. But the federal government is probably the bigger part of the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, just focusing in, on this podcast and what the state can do Um you know last year and the year before there was a lot of talk of oh we need to bust into the rainy day fund because it's raining and you know some of the you know Kasich and a lot of the folks in the state government were kind of resistant to that argument because they're saying no this is a budget stabilization it's for uh, a recession and um i think that that is showing to be pretty prudent now because it is straight up raining right now. <laughs> this is when it right. actually rains. Right. Um, you know, the, the opioid epidemic was a huge deal. Um, but it was something that was slow and controlled uh, to, compared to coronavirus. It's crazy to be looking back to the opioid crisis and be like, man, those were the days. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. But it wasn't, it wasn't destroying the economy uh, as quickly and, putting people out of jobs and reducing people's hours in the way that this is. And, you know, this is going to have dynamic effects where if the state, you know, we're basically shutting down 7% of the state economy th- um, on an annual basis and just, just by what's happening in the next few months. So if there's a time to spend from the rainy day fund, it's right now. And that's going to take some authorization from the governor's office and the legislature
0: working together and, um, I think he basically is signaled that he's willing to do that.
1: Yeah. Which, what other time is there? It seems like right, right now, like you said earlier, there's going to be a recession. Um, that's what. That's what most uh, economists across the country are saying. They're saying that the question isn't is there going to be a recession, but how bad is it going to be? It could be worse than two thousand nine if we don't do anything. It's yeah. really, it's really going to be up to the federal government to bail out the economy. But the state government in the meantime is also going to have to pay its bills and keep its doors open to be providing social services to folks. And that's where the Budget Stabilization Fund comes in. And maybe you can use some of that Budget Stabilization Fund for uh, you know trying to help people with new programs. But I think a lot of it is going to be just backfilling
0: the old programs. So what do you think about, you know, the policy areas that I hear being talked about the most where they are sort of floundering around a little bit is is economic relief for small businesses. And, um, you know, I have several friends who have small businesses. You know, I work for a large public university. So my, li- my life is quite different than my friends who own cafes or yeah. uh, in the service world. Who, I mean, they, they, they can't go very long at all. They're just going to close and that's their livelihood. And then they're in that situation where they need relief. There's also the question of you know bailouts for the insurance, for, for, for airline industries and other, you know, there's a whole conversation coming in. It's bringing back up the memories from the 2008 uh, great recession. So, you know, w- what about the question of economic relief? Uh, what are your hopes and what are you hearing?
1: You know, as far as the state of Ohio goes, So Gretchen Widmer, the governor of Michigan, has done some work to, uh, through executive order, expand unemployment eligibility. So that's one lever that state government has. But again, that's taking things out of state funds, and state funds are going to be limited in this window. So maybe you can do it in the very, very short term, but ultimately that money is going to have to be made up somewhere. It seems like we're really going to be leaning on the federal government. Oh, another place is SNAP. Transfers. Yeah. So um, we've done a lot over the past, I mean, since the Great Recession, the state of Ohio has restricted SNAP eligibility more and more. um, But that's probably going to have to reverse. Uh, You know, it doesn't make much sense to condition benefits on work when people are all
0: losing their jobs and don't
1: have opportunities
0: to pick up new work. Right. We're seeing really the nightmare scenario that policy people like myself talk about. Which is, you know, you can't develop policy with good times in mind only. You need to think about contingencies. And this is going to be an extreme contingency where people are just going to need relief. I heard that, you know, Andy Yang is getting called by the White House now and he's talking about the universal basic income. Yeah. You know, uh, they're they're talking about $1,000 for every American on a monthly basis, possibly. Like, we don't really know what the details are. But the Trump administration does seem to realize that the fiscal, um, stability, the the health, and we're going to turn to that a little bit more in a moment, but the health of um, Americans is going to require an infusion of cash, not just to industry and not just small business loans, but possibly even just cash in people's pockets.
1: Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Saez and Gabriel Zuckman, um, a couple economists who are kind of on the left side of the spectrum, they've really been uh, pushing this idea of government as a buyer of last resort now how the government Can you say what that means basically right now the, we have shut down a sector of the economy um, by saying we're just going to close down all these restaurants and you know limit them to take out etc so that's just a sector of the economy that just disappears but all those people you know there's still people you know the businesses still exist and hopefully we want them to come back after you know, after the peak of the infection has passed. But in the meantime, those people don't receive any income and the, the, uh, the businesses can't pay their bills. So, you know, what do we do? Well, Zuckman and Saez have been saying, well, the government should just come in and, you know, pay the industries. Um, they should mm-hmm. spend money where consumers can't. That's one way to try to target these funds. And they sort of argue against the, uh, you know, Andrew Yang now mitt romney and tom cotton uh you know give a thousand dollars to every person because they say well that would be less targeted than focusing on the industry that's being most
0: affected which is you know hospitality um and restaurants The the Yang, the Yang Romney Cotton Gambit, right? I mean, (laughs) just think of the strange bedfellows we've got going on here. I know
1: AOC Sanders Yang Cotton Romney Trump.
0: (laughs) Right, you know, just to make happy family.
1: (laughs) But it is, uh, it is pretty amazing that people have taken this shift towards this, and you know, I've seen a lot of folks on the left really gravitating over the past few years as universal basic income has gained more attention. A lot of folks have been saying, well, no, maybe not universal basic income, maybe federal job guarantee. And, you know, what you're talking about here, about this uh, you know, do we make uh policy just for good times or do we try to think about the bad times too? A job guarantee is kind of a difficult answer to this problem in particular, because we're trying to get people to, uh, socially distance and to not be out in in work and to try to think up a whole bunch of government jobs that allow for social distancing in this time is a bit more complicated than just infusing households with cash.
0: Yeah. I was just even thinking about, you know, um, I mean, President Trump um, is in a difficult situation, I mean, for a number of reasons. But one of them is that he has been tweeting about the stock market for years. Uh, basically, I mean, he suggested that Obama should be thrown out of office because he had a, a bad day on the stock market. Well, Trump has now had worse days. Um, and, you know, people are kind of throwing that back to him, as you would expect. But the bigger question of, you know, just uh, economic indicators... Um, it's, it's not clear how he's, you know, he, he wants to draw on tools now and d- resources that he has dismissed for years, be- and he's now rethinking them um, because he has to, right? He's It's clear that this is a moment, if there's ever a moment where presidential leadership and, you know, um, people have been celebrating Mike DeWine and Director Acton here in Ohio, but this is clearly a moment where you need the kind of logistical heft of the uh, the federal government and also the treasury.
1: I mean, we're in crazy times. Who would have thought six months ago, if somebody had said, Governor DeWine is going to overrule a judge, a court (laughs) ruling to delay the presidential primary in Ohio indefinitely. Yeah. If somebody said that six months ago, everyone would be like, are you crazy? How could that possibly be something that is okay? Um, but but here we are. I mean, we're in a situation where we're really trying to get people to reduce their contact with each other. And, you know, that could have been lives that were lost there. And that was the calculation that was made. And it seems like in general, the public seems to be pretty supportive of some pretty extreme measures, closing a giant sector of the economy, uh, telling people that they can't gather. Um, I mean, these are Pretty extreme uh, measures to be taken. But the public, generally, from what I'm hearing,
0: seems to be pretty supportive. So the IRS has suspended tax payments, I think, by 90 days. Um, one of the things I was going to mention before is that President Trump was talking about the sort of unemployment numbers, which are going to get, you know, I mean, unemployment is going to totally convulse very soon it already has we just don't know what the numbers are exactly but the census you know is always a time where after you know you have the uh the holiday season and all this purchasing all these temporary jobs and then the census comes the census is supposed to be done by april 1st right and the census hiring you know is is usually a huge bump to the economy but how do you go door to door during a pandemic to follow up on people about their census uh reports you know (laughs)
1: yeah yeah um and i don't know if that just means you do it later and it's really really bad timing for the census i mean we've just been talking about the census for years now and how important this is if these census uh counts are delayed what does that mean for redistricting uh what does that mean for uh you know redrawing of these lines and for congressional apportionment and you know the balance of power within uh congress Especially when, and even the state government, when you have pretty substantial urbanization happening over the past decade, and we're going to have to put off the time that we measure that, how is that going to impact the balance of power between uh, rural and urban state legislators? I mean, I I haven't done a a calculation recently or an analysis, but I've got to expect that some of these urban districts have much higher population than some of the rural districts 10 years ago. And that means that, you know, one person, one vote is being bent and twisted a little bit
0: um, for the time being. It's also another way of saying that Ohio has particular stakes in the census. We have a declining population, but we also have extraordinarily gerrymandered districts and it's likely we're going to lose a congressional seat or two in the next census. That has real consequences for all sorts of things like federal flows from the Treasury and how we think about uh, just the power of, of Ohio within the broader American political landscape. So not to not to necessarily you know, get too far into that political question uh, during this time of crisis, but it's huge. It has consequences that will endure for, for decades. I think this is a really important question, especially when you talk about what you cover
1: in this podcast. Ohio is one of the states that was really on the border, and um, it's really on the edge. Ten thousand people counted one direction or another direction could mean the difference between Ohio keeping its congressional uh, its twelfth congressional seat or losing it, and if we uh, delay the census count by a year, that that very well could be the difference between Ohio keeping that congressional seat or losing it. I mean that's a that's a big difference, um,
0: especially here in Ohio. Yeah, and it's unfashionable perhaps to talk in such lofty ways about things like preserving democracy during a time of public health crisis. But I think that's one of the things we should be doing right now is to make sure that when when we do come on the other side of this, we've learned something from it, but also we've preserved some of our key institutions. And that's why oh, things yes. like a governor or health director canceling an election, like I think she did the absolutely right thing but it's hugely consequential.
1: Yeah, and we're just in this moment right now. I mean, there have been a lot of times when we've overreached in uh, into our democracy in times of crisis. I mean, go back all the way back to Aliens and Sedition Acts. Go mm. back to Japanese internment during World War II, even the Patriot Act in the past 20 years. I mean, there are a lot of times when we've been in a moment, we've thought that something was the right thing to do in a moment and then look back to and been like, man, we really bent and twisted what this country is about uh in a moment of crisis and i think that the you know it seems right now that that the leadership has been you know pretty solid and um you know taking in the best advice of medical experts but you know medical experts and experts on uh civil liberties and experts on the economy all need to be coming together and all need to have a place Mm -hmm. at the table
0: One final question for you, Rob. Which is so, to specifically, you know, you've talked about SNAP, the um, program that so many Ohioans count on just to feed themselves, and we've learned in shutting the schools down that lots of kids they receive their nutrition through school lunches and school breakfasts. So we've though know, some municipalities have come up with ways to have curbside pickups and to maintain that program through this. Can you draw some of the other health? Consequences specifically of what's at stake in relation to this economic cloud that's you know looming over us. What are some of the health consequences we should be thinking about? I'll bring up two health
1: consequences in particular. Well, really, two health relationships. We know that income has an impact on health. We've done a lot of. There's this growing body of research that's been developing just over the past few years, really about. How cash transfers and, and income impact health, whether that's uh, you know diabetes or, pe- or or even things like obesity, um, people's ability to be able to um, you know infant mortality is another thing that's that w- there's been a big connection uh, between income and health. So there are a lot of places where if you lose your your income temporarily, it's going to impact your health and your family's health, and uh, this is something that. We need to be worried about but i also worry about as we talked about a little bit earlier uh you know social distancing and what its impacts are on well-being um yeah we have a growing body of research that's saying that social connection and you know whether you're in a committed relationship or whether you have uh, friends that you spend time with on a regular basis or uh, your family or even acquaintances impact people's uh, well-being so much and uh, can lead to, you know, social isolation can lead to um, lower lifespans and more uh, developing of disease. And especially when we're talking about people who are most vulnerable to coronavirus, these are also people, you know, people in long-term care especially, who are so vulnerable to social
0: isolation and the health impacts so much of the conversation has been about age, right? And, you know, thinking about the different positions that kids are in and older people, um, but also mental health, uh, the convergence of being, you know, kept indoors, uh, being kept away from people, um, families who can't visit their loved ones. You talked to um, somebody at Children's Hospital the other day here on this podcast, to Dr. Dempster, who's a pediatric psychologist and you know, Children's has had to revise its policy. Uh, no kids can visit their siblings, uh, I believe, right now. And you have to pick one parent in many situations. That's a horrifying uh, situation to be in when your kid's already going through cancer treatment, and you know they're doing the right thing. But we are going to see this real need for new supports and services to help people through this process. I I think some uh, people in Ohio have done a fantastic job, you know, but different people who are already vulnerable in different ways um, are going to need different kinds of supports coming out of this.
1: Yeah. And I think what happened in Seattle, really the epicenter of the outbreak in the United States right now has really turned people on to how dangerous it is this coronavirus to long-term care facilities. And I'm really glad that the governor has stepped up and made it very clear to people that uh, they can't be visiting folks in long-term care. But again, you know, you look at the other side of that as people are spending the last, uh, you know, years and sometimes months of their lives in these facilities, are you really gonna keep families away from those folks? And, you know, what, what does that mean for folks last, uh, you know, moments of their lives if they're stuck in isolation to try to keep them away from a virus and, you know, they can't spend any time with their family. I worry about things like that.
0: Well, Rob, uh, I wish you well. I'm glad you were able to, you know, I don't know, spend some time talking with me. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the appropriate social distancing metaphor because it's really important to me to connect with people like you. And I know that people listening to this will Appreciate hearing from you as well. And this is something we can do at this time. I know the podcasting world is blowing up because all these, you know, people are just sitting in their basements like me with a few extra minutes on their <laughs> time on their hands. But um, I, I thank you for your expertise and for doing the work you do. Um, we're going to be linking to uh, your work, um, your Twitter feed and other things on the show notes. So I encourage people to go check those out and, um, you know, just uh, stay well. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Dan. I mean Ohio's been on the front end on the response to this and has really been a leader, which we don't usually get to say on public health issues. So <laughs> your podcast is really important in covering uh, Ohio's response and you know what we've done and our place in this you know bigger national picture in a global pandemic.
0: Good. Well, thanks so much, Rob, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Dan. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org under the Podcast Experience tab. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere. You can also follow us on Twitter at at PrognosisOhio, especially for tweets and retweets we're putting out with the latest information from state public health and other officials. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to Prognosis Ohio, and please be well, friends.